This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Well, hello and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and I would normally say, uh, and him, Pete George here, but Pete is off living the high life in uh, in Dublin, um, supping on a Guinness, no doubt, as we speak. So I'm delighted that we've got a wonderful guest stepping into his stead. Joining me today is the Birmingham Mail's Joe Chapman. Joe, very big welcome to the pod. Uh, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you very much for having me. Um had my own Dublin experience this weekend as well. So recovering from that, but uh, very, very pleased to be on. Well, I was going to say that you'll be you'll be starting conspiracy theories about you and Pete going away together there, mate. But uh, <laughs> now, glad you've glad you've uh, actually like hopped on a plane, come back and join the pod. Pete's still absolutely living it up. So, you know, shows the commitment it shows the commitment but uh, thank you very much for uh, for being with us and uh, well before we get started obviously um also a big thanks to our uh, partners uh, who support the pod um manscaped obviously they uh, they do have an exclusive discount for all baggies fans out there if you want 20% off manscaped and free shipping worldwide all you have to do is use the promo code up the baggies. You know what it is. I say it at the end of every pod. So just type in up the baggies, all uppercase at Manscaped's website, and you will get 20% off and free shipping as well. You can't say fairer than that. They are, of course, the best men's below the waist grooming products around and Pete and I have been using them and they are absolutely fabulous they're 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 great great products so we we thoroughly endorse them go and grab yours like I say 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the promo code up the baggies but that's enough about our illustrious partners and on to the business of football. And unfortunately, we've not got a very nice place to start because uh, we are recording at just about 
six o'clock on Monday evening. And a couple of hours ago, Joe, the news dropped that Leeds had parted company with Jesse Marsh and immediately installed as favourite, heavy favourite, I would say. 11 to 10 was the last odds I saw before we came on air, is our very own Carlos Corboran. Obviously, something of a worst case scenario for all Albion fans after the great run we've had would be to lose him. How worried do you believe we should be? Well, the links are probably a little bit predictable, Chris, aren't they? I, we've seen the links to West Ham when David Moyes was under a little bit of pressure a few weeks ago. Uh, we then saw the links to Everton. Um, and I, I really, at that point, thought, OK, I, I can't really see Cor- Carlos Corbran at Goodison Park. I, you know, the, the the nature of the, the the sort of personnel that they would normally go for, if you look at all the managers they've been through recently, they like and the, word, and and the words name. frying pan to fire yeah. spring to mind as well. 100%. You wouldn't be in a rush to leave Albion forever and as bad as Albion's off-field situation is, would you? So, you know, that considered, I just thought even if Everton did come calling, Corbran himself, even though they're in a division below right now with Albion, I just thought he would even have his own reservations anyway. Uh, but that, they obviously subsided. The Leeds one was the one I think a lot of eagle-eyed Albion fans for a few weeks would have probably been a little bit concerned by because you watch Jesse Marsh's rather precarious situation, knowing that another defeat takes him close to the sack and with it a really to-be-expected link um, and an interest. I mean, they know all about him, obviously. But the uh, my stance would be the same, really, in, in that could I see Corbran leaving for Leeds right now? I, I just feel like he's somebody who as a 39-year-old manager who's just starting out, really. He's still got all of his career ahead of him. And I understand and I accept that you've got to kind of almost strike while well, the iron's hot as a manager, don't you? Because very, very rarely, I think Mick Beale at QPR with Wolves earlier in the season was a very rare example of a manager who doesn't just go when the big club come, bigger club comes calling. Um, you don't know. I mean, Albion could lose five in a row and then all of a sudden it's, you know, what happens next? You know, is Carlos under pressure? You've well, look at, look, look at Liam Manning heart. at MK Dons, mate. In in the summer pod, I I was massively talking him up as my my key candidate to take over from Bruce in the summer, and uh, and and now look at MK Dons. You know, as you say, it, it's amazing how quickly your your reputation can take a downturn. But on the flip side of that, what I would say is. I think you've got to be very careful about the job you take because look at Nathan Jones at Southampton. You know, if if things continue to go the way they are going there, where where's his reputation going to be in a few months' time? Yeah, well, probably back at Luton, I'd have thought, considering every time he leaves there, he, kind of, he, he finds his way back, doesn't he? But you're right. Uh, there is an element of risk. Of course there is. Um, and the land of milk and hoodie that is the Premier League can often be too big a temptation to turn down. It's a really, really difficult one because you can see it in, with Corbran. It grows week on week. You know, when we go and speak to him before every game and he's so at home at the training ground, you know, he's so comfortable. Everybody adores him. He's got brilliant staff around him. Those he brought with him to the club and those that he's inherited. The players quite clearly love him, uh, love working for him. That is just evident. Got a terrific working relationship with Ron Gourlay. Um and Ian Pierce in terms of, uh, you know, you look back at the January window, I think it was a very successful one as well um, in terms of the players they were able to shift out and the players they brought in. So everything seems to have gone right. And I know Corbran, of course, is not naive and he'll know the situation off the field very well, even if he does always insist that on the field is his remit and that's where he should be focused on. I totally get that. But 
yeah, it, it's a bit like frying pans of fire again, isn't it? Leeds are a weird, re- really weird club for me in that they've got so much potential. They've had this these, this era of wilderness in the last 15, 20 years. Now they're back in the big time. Um, but they just, they've made some very odd decisions and very weird signings. I mean, they brought in a number, new number two for Jesse Marsh a few weeks ago. And now they've got rid of Jesse Marsh having backed him to the hilt in the transfer window. Well, this, is, this is what I've been saying on Twitter, mate. Uh, and look, I, I, you know, I'm often wrong. Um, so this is nothing <laughs> new, but I've been saying for ages, they won't sack him because they seem to, they seem to have been recruiting so specifically for him. You know, they're all players he knows really, really well. Like, you know, he's, they've made a number of signings from the Red Bull clubs, which obviously he's been heavily involved in. There's obviously yep. a few Americans come in. They've gone and got Weston McKenney as well this window. I really didn't think they'd sack him. And, and, and as you say, you, re- you really are taking over a squad. If you go there, and I know we're trying to convince ourselves almost as much as we're trying to make the case to Carlos that he needs to stay, but you really are taking a squad that's been massively built in somebody else's image, aren't you? Yeah, without doubt. And how much room does he have in terms of to manoeuvre a a, a turnaround? Because you want to go in and a bit like, you know, if the reports to be believed a little bit, um, a little recently were about the idea of Bielsa going to Everton. He was like, no, I want to manage the 21s first and, you know, I'll roll it out from, but clubs don't, at the bottom of the Premier League don't have the time, mm. um, even if they do have the resources. So if you bring Corbran in, you need him to have an immediate impact. I know he's had exactly that at West Brom. Obviously, it's been a quite amazing transformation that we've witnessed with our own eyes over the last few months, but but, do but that. just on that, I was just going to say, Joe, it's a completely different task, isn't it? Because in all yeah, exactly. fairness, we were at the bottom of the championship with a top five squad, without any shadow of a doubt. Leeds are towards the bottom of the of the Premier League. And is their squad a million miles away from that? No, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not belittling the, the the job that Carlos has done. He's done an unbelievable job. But let's be honest, this is the level of performance that Bruce should have been getting out of us. Whereas, in all fairness to, in all fairness to Jesse Marsh, I mean, okay, somebody else might get more out of these players, but they won't get more out to the degree that Carlos has out of the West Brom squad because. I mean, he was on to a winner, wasn't he? There was uh, with, with the uh, he must have walked through that door and gone Wallace, Swift, DK, Thomas Asante, Yakoslu. You know I, how, how? There's no way that I'm going to keep the, these guys are going to stay anywhere near the bottom of the league. No, uh, and the uh, the World Cup break was fantastic timing as well, wasn't it? Everything fell into place really. Um, made a point in one of my pieces the other day, actually, when we're looking back at the, the summer window and. A crazy domino effect because on deadline day, Albion, the, the fan base were having these kind of worry, worrisome thoughts that we're going to, oh no, we're going to have deja vu from the summer and, you know, we're going to have these deals fall through right at the death. But if if Bruce had got those deals over the line in the summer, things might have panned out and you don't know where Albion might have been. They might have just had enough in the bank in terms of results to keep Bruce in a job while not really ever achieving what they have done under Corbrand. Uh, Corbrand otherwise elsewhere could have gone somewhere else. So actually, the way it all fell into place, it, it, it's you know through one or two errors, obviously along the way. But everything about the timing of it, uh, the appointment itself is looking like a masterstroke. I've said to anybody who will listen for the last few weeks that he is very, very quickly established himself as the biggest asset at the club by a long, long way. There isn't another individual at the football club right now at Albion that you would 
want to see leave the club uh, less than than Corbra. Just on that, Joe, do you, do you have? Uh, I don't I don't know whether you have any knowledge on this at all. But there's a, a, how much power do we have to keep that asset? There's a lot of rumours about release clauses in his contract and uh, and and things like that. I I mean, obviously, any Championship club has probably very little power when it comes to resisting a Premier League um, club because Premier League clubs can actually pay up Championship manager contracts in full to get managers out, even if there isn't a release clause in there. So there are ways and means that if Leeds desperately decide he's their man and Carlos decides he's going to go, there's probably very little we can do about it. But how easy is it for Leeds? Do you have any idea on that? I don't know if there's a release clause. I, I mean, I, he signed a two and a half year contract and I know that the club would like to extend that even now. I mean, that's the impact he's already had. But quite simply put, Chris, if you know, compensation will be discussed, whatever. But if Leeds want this to happen, it'll happen, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, because it's just, as you say, it's the way it works. Premier League club with a lot of money in, in the bank uh, versus a championship club who have got an asset and no kind of financial power to rival that. So it will happen if Leeds want it to. I think, And well, if Carlos wants is, it to, of course. And Carlos wants it to. And, and the hope is, of course, that, you know, uh, reading the uh, the Yorkshire Post latest report tonight, so suggesting that they want to get somebody in before they go to Old Trafford on Wednesday night. So this could be quite, you know, quick in, in terms of an appointment or of Corbrand or, or somebody else. I'd like to think that Albion fans will know sooner rather than later whether Corbrand's staying or going. Yeah, I mean, obviously we hang, we hold out hope. I mean, the the, the other the other managers who are the shortest in the betting at the uh, at this moment in time are Bielsa, Pochettino and Hasenhutl, who the, uh, when you say about quick appointments, Joe, the one positive thing that if that is Leeds' real, real be-all and end-all on this is that the, those three have over Corbran is that they're all out of work. Yeah, exactly. And, and we just talked about this off-air there, I mean, about the... the quality of, of manager that's out there for a team like Leeds right now. What could they hope to achieve? What have they done previously um, in terms of appointments and, and what paths have they gone down? I mean, Marsh himself was a bit of a left field one at the time when they're replacing a man who was absolutely adored and revered by everybody at the club by, you know, in the city. Who In football, I mean, God, Bielsa is just loved by Guardiola and Pochettino, you name it. So, to replace him with somebody who had no prior experience of English football, never mind the Premier League, um, was a risk in itself. That's what makes me think that you know Leeds aren't a club that will go and appoint a Sean Dyche-esque person. They will go and think a little bit outside of the box. So to that end, Corbran is a viable one because the idea of not appointing somebody just because they haven't got any Premier League experience, it's not really what Le- Leeds' track record suggests You know that they'll do. No, although I suppose the flip side to that particular coin is that um, when you're going into the run-in of uh, of a Premier League season and a relegation battle, and it, 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 to be honest, if you were looking at it at the moment, I, I personally think Southampton and Bournemouth are gone. Um, and then you're looking at that third space. And at the moment, Leeds are probably the most viable candidate for that third space because Dyche looks like he will probably do enough at mm. Everton to probably keep them up. And... I suppose wolves have, wolves have picked up, haven't they? As well, yeah, so. exactly. Since Lopetegui went in there, and um, Forest, Forest are flying at the moment. In fact, yeah. a, a mate of mine who's a Forest fan actually sent me um, sent me a league table from the first of January. Forest are top of the Premier League, 
since the if if you ran the table from the first of Jan, which is crazy. Um, yeah, and then you but, look at the other clubs who might have otherwise been involved that you might have expected at the start of the season, like like Fulham, for example, are nowhere to be seen. They they disappeared at the other end of the table. Teams like Villa and Palace, are notorious mid-table teams, you don't see them getting sucked into Brentford it. aren't so, getting anywhere near ex- Brighton. Exactly. So really? there you go. I mean, you know, you look around at Leeds, you think, can we find another team to finish up of? And, and and my point is, if you take a gamble on a manager like Carlos, yes, it might work and it might actually end up being a long-term solution. But the flip side to that coin is, is it a lot safer to go with somebody like, okay, Hassan Hootel didn't have an, uh, had an up and down time at Southampton, but he never got them relegated. He knows what the league's all about. I think, if they could get Pochettino, they will. But I, I, I can't help thinking this is like when Villa fans wanted Tuchel. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, I'm probably trying to convince myself as much as anything here, Joe. Yeah, no, I, I, I as you should, Chris, as you should. I, I, I've got to sleep at night, mate. <laughs> could I see Pochettino at Leeds? I, mean, I certainly don't. Be, I wouldn't begrudge Leeds Pochettino if he wanted to turn up there. Um, and you know, it means that we keep the status quo at the Hawthorns for the time being. And then, yeah, I'm all for it. Let's let's start the potch train. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's <laughs> let's start building that one up. Um, and, and equally, trying to tell everybody who'll, who'll listen how garbage Corbran is, so he doesn't go anywhere. But um, <laughs> uh, I mean, moving moving on from hopefully what is non-existent business relating to our manager to a certain degree of business, not quite as much as maybe we thought at one point was going to get done in the transfer window, but nonetheless, some. I mean, you touched on it before, uh, Joe, and you, you you said it was it was a good window both out and in. I think you know, look, Ken Zahor, we'd all written off long ago, so delighted to see the back of him. I may I've said on Twitter, and I maintain this fact: the single worst signing West Bromwich Albion have ever made. Um, Martin Kelly, nowhere near that bracket, but clearly frozen out and very little future for him. So best that he moved up, moved on and got some football. And you've got to say, Mark Albrighton, Leicester's vice captain and a Premier League winner coming in. Chalabar as well, a player who, OK, has had a very up and down time in terms of the amount of football, but he still played 20 games in this division for the team that romped it last season. So you can't knock that. And... Uh, um, I suppose the only disappointment, Joe, and you'll know how close this one came to happening, was Amari Hutchison, and which, uh, from what we what we read, fell through largely down to um, Chelsea's inadequacies in uh, rather than our own this time, um, because they seem to have let a number of clubs down Chelsea on this in this particular window. Yeah, the tables have turned on deadline day, and I'll be the team that have to disappoint somebody else. Um, yeah, so I, I got told very, very, very swiftly after the, after the, uh, the, the deadline had passed that, uh, from a source in Swansea that Carlin Grant wasn't going to be going to the club. So therefore I knew that Hutchinson wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be coming either. That was a, that was, um, a deal that I think I know a lot of Albion fans mightn't be the greatest fans of Carlin Grant really. But even so, I don't think that was a disastrous move to fall through, if you know what I mean. Or not fall through. For me, having Carlin Grant, who, okay, he's obviously quite divisive in terms of the fan base, but he's still somebody who scored a number of goals last season and is somebody who knows the championship uh, versus a, a lad who's quite clearly got a lot of talent and a lot of promise. 
but who you really don't know which way it would go. Hutchinson could be like Grady Dingana of a few years ago, or he could be more like, you know, Brendan Galloway. <laughs> yes, you know I mean? El Ganassi, you, all these, all these, all these loanies, all these loanies we've had before, certainly from bigger clubs, they don't always pay off. So to that end, that was the, you know, if, if it'd been Hutchinson had come in and all Brighton had been blocked because Grant, um, or oh, sorry, you know, all Brighton had been blocked and therefore Grant had to stay. That would have been more of a blow for, I think. I was, if you'd have said to me 10 minutes before the deadline, we could only get one of these deals done, then all Brighton all day long. I think it, it it's a little bit like a few years ago when we had Bilic in charge and we just had a January wobble, didn't we, after a brilliant first half of the season. And they just topped the squad up with uh, Robinson and Grzycki and two players um, who had Premier League experience. Uh, one of them was from a Premier League team at the time. And these really, for me, kind of resemble those signings in, in that they are they are the kind of the toppers up of the of the squad. Um, Shalabar brings some extra competition into midfield, which I think was really necessary because when you take your customer Mullumby out of that department right now, there's a real drop off. Really, you've got Gardner Hinkman, who he seems to think is right back cover rather than midfield, and then you've got Jake Livermore, who you know routinely doesn't make the matchday squad these days. So that was definitely um, in, intended, and I honestly really believe he'd, he'd been very happy with the squad with just Shalabar added to it had Phillips stayed fit. Um, and only and, and only because Phillips got injured did they go again into the window and bring Albrighton in. Um, and based on certainly the first 45 minutes on Friday night against Coventry, I thought it was just there for all to see exactly what Albion are going to get between now and the end of the season. Uh, I, I wrote a, a quite long piece today on um, Albrighton. Shameless plug by me. Uh, Mate, you, you plug he, away. You plug away. <laughs> I think he can be a bit like James Milner for Albion in that He's somebody who's coming in with a hell of a lot of experience. He's immediately one of the older guys in the dressing room. It's a fairly old dressing room, actually. I mean, there's a lot of young players, but, you know, Livermore, Button, Peters, all Brighton, Bartley, Phillips, Rogic, Reach, they're all 30 or over. So there's plenty of players in that squad with lots of experience and leadership qualities. And he brings those leadership qualities. He just won't rant and rave on the touchline and in the dressing room about, you know, what demanding from his teammates or whatever. He's not going to be that Roy Keane-esque player. I just think he'll go about it a little bit like Milner, quite subtly, leading by example with his actions and not his words and his voice. Um, and I thought we saw the, the beginning of that the other night. Well, I mean, the, the, if I was going to compare it to anything, Joe, I, I, I mean, I go back to my time at the club and I, I remember um, working uh, working there um during the Robbie Di Matteo promotion season, and I think, I, I think after that defeat to Nottingham Forest, uh, many will, re- will will remember it well. We got uh, there was uh, snow on the side of the pitch. It was a Baltically cold night, and we got absolutely took to the cleaners by Forest. They deservedly beat us at the Hawthorns, and I think we all came into the training ground that Monday morning feeling a bit on edge, like. Are we going to blow this? Because it, it 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 had been us and Newcastle all the way, all the way. It was going to be us and Newcastle, no questions asked. And into the building in the near future from there came Stephen Reed and Ben Watson. Hmm. You know, just and it just settled everything down. Ben was only there a few weeks. Um, before he went back to his parent club, I, uh, I, uh, I'm not even a hundred percent. He might have been a Palace player at the time. Um, I'm not even a hundred percent where we, or, or Watford. I'm, I'm not actually a hundred percent where we mm. took Ben from. But, um, but he just came in steady, Eddie, nice guy, very 
cool and calm around the place. But Reedy just came in and was just, he was so rock solid around the place, just uh, brilliant with everybody. And I think he, that those two were just such a massive reason we got over the line, just the the knowledge and experience that, that they had. And I can see these two being a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. I, they were the good old days, weren't they, when you could still loan a player in like February or March? Just to yeah, they were actually quite well the into the season, they were. I think they were about March yeah. time, yeah. They, they, that was the good old days of the championship where you could just pop up. But I was still a, you know, at school or college or whatever at that time. And it was like, you know, you could kind of come home from your day out at school or, or whatever and you see that West Brom signed another player. Um, and it was, uh, there was a lot of success in that year without going all nostalgic. But Reed absolutely fits the bill in terms of what I'm on about, really. Somebody who is almost quiet, quiet leader, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but it, it, it's so, it's so true. You see them all, all the way through football um the best teams are built around those kind of players and those personalities because I think a lot of footballers these days are more likely to respond to that kind of player than they are a Roy Keane type so we can see I just we can see it with Albrighton um he's quite clearly the other thing I absolutely love about him and his attitude is that he was he didn't I asked him on Wednesday when we spoke to him at the training ground after the move did he have any reservations about dropping into the championship because he never played there he's, he spent his entire career in the Premier League with Villa and Leicester um, made 300 Premier League appearances 33 year old he could have been like Michael Owen back in the day when he was asked would you drop in the championship to continue playing and he said no and when Stoke when he left Stoke he basically just said that that's me done Albrighton's the polar opposite, but it doesn't matter to him. It's obviously still a good level. The top of the championship is where you want to be if you can't be in the Premier League, but it, it just didn't even phase him. It was just like, no, I'm, I want to go. If it means I'll play 15, 20 games in the second half of the season, then so be it. And um, he lives, I'm led to believe he lives about a 10, 15 minute drive from the training ground. So he was there on the night, easy peasy. And um, I think he's a brilliant, brilliant addition. I loved his quotes, Joe. I absolutely loved his quotes. Uh, I, I, I saw the video on uh, on the night that he did with Jez. And, like, the stuff he... I mean, first of all, the enthusiasm. Because he, 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 said, he said to Jez in the first interview he did with the club, something along the lines of... Um, I've got so many Albion fans, mate, fan, fan mates who are going to be absolutely buzzing when this gets released. And I thought that's the sort of thing you hear from an 18, 19, 20 year old, not a 33 year old. So first of all, I was captivated by his enthusiasm, but then he went on to talk about his reasons. And he was just like, look, he basically said in a roundabout way, Lester didn't really want me to go. They, but, but they were quite clear with him about the fact that, he was going to get a limited amount of uh, amount of minutes and that's just not him and this opportunity came and somebody really wanted him and you know we made we made contact at a, at a you know at a reason he, he said obviously we've been in contact nice and early earlier in the window which again is is refreshing to hear because we've been so late on deals throughout the summer and we 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 made him feel wanted and he just wanted to come and play and there's a guy that Look, he's obviously being paid well. Nobody makes any bones about that. But I honestly don't believe it's about the money for him. I honestly believe it's about going out and showing his ability on a football pitch and having that adulation from the fans and that relationship with the supporters. And I just everything everything about his first interview and the quotes that came out from it just said to me, 
we've got a guy who who's just motivated by all the right things here. Yeah, absolutely. And what he said about his kids as well, you know, his kids are getting to an age now where they're understanding who he is as a, as a professional. Um, you know, when they go to school, he's discussed as a footballer by their their um, schoolmates who who have an interest in football. And he'd be getting there on a Saturday and his, he'd be saying goodbye to his kids when he goes to training every morning. And then by Saturday, he wouldn't be on the pitch and he wouldn't be playing. And that hurt him, I think, he wants to get back now that his kids are getting to an age where they're actually able to come and see him play and take a bit of an interest in football and his career, that he's actually playing and starting matches um, and, and still in an area of the of the country where he's, of course, very familiar, um, where he's located. And it just I think the whole thing, the whole as a whole package, I thought the move just fitted for Albion, but, but certainly for Albrighton as well. I mean, you know, I think Albion would have been probably the next port of call because you probably didn't, you probably weren't going to see any Premier League clubs coming for him, but it just it, you look at the top of the championship. I thought Albion was a was a really really good fit. And it's interesting when you, when you look at the data around him as well from uh, from from the other day, how similar he is in many respects to uh, to, to Jed Wallace in the way that he he plays. You know, um, early crosses, a lot of width, good delivery. You know, and and he he's also had the most key passes in the game. Eight uh, eight crosses as well, which is twice as many as the next uh, as the next best. Um, you know, it, it, the, it, I mean, we'll talk in a minute about what it actually means for Jed Wallace, but obviously Corbran, particularly at least on one side, he likes that chalk on the boots, old school, out and out winger, and you know, we saw from the Coventry game that. He has found another way. It's not a matter of swapping with with Jed Wallace. It's a, a finding another solution for Jed Wallace, and that pays to the intelligence Corbran has as a coach that he can do that. But what Albrighton gives you, because we've said all season, if Wallace is out injured, we're so stuffed because we've got nobody else who can do what he he can do. Now we do. Yeah, and the fact that he's been able to accommodate both of them in the same team. Uh, and even at one point, down in the first half of the night, when really Albion were overloading on Coventry down that side, and Coventry were looking quite shaky, and Furlong was even getting forward and putting balls, and you thought, God, how would you stop this supply of of players? Because Wallace is obviously playing as a ten, but he's been given the opportunity to just kind of meander and and drift out wide, which is probably a habit. But I mean, he's a winger, so that's natural. But um, within about five or ten minutes, Albrighton picked the ball up on the right, cut inside and crossed in from the with his left foot, which was just about the best delivery of the game, I thought, on his weaker side. Um, and it just gave you a very, very quick reminder of, as I said, what Albion have, have taken off Leicester, I think. There's a lot of Leicester fans that would have been very, very pleased to have seen him stay. Mm. Um, but I, I think when you've got that and you've got the... I thought that already, and it, we're talking a, a matter of days since they've been at the club together, but there already were signs that Wallace and Albrighton might be on the same wavelength as well. Actually, just on the edge of the area and the way they were combining, I, I thought it was really, really exciting. Well, I mean, he, he's a dream as well for uh, Thomas Asante and DK, isn't he? Because the 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 the, the moment, I mean, you, you're right that that left footed ball was insane. But the one that stood out for me was the one in the second half over Brandon's shoulder, where Brandon nearly got in, and I and I thought. My goodness me, with with the pace and the energy 
that those two have and the power of DK and the, the absolute menace that is Brandon Thomas Asante. If you've got a guy there that can pick a pinpoint ball over, uh, over one of our strikers shoulders, what a threat that is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he can kind of, he can probably do both. A lot has been made since Albrighton signed about the idea of, you know, DK will be licking his lips because he's now got two. Well, as we basically predicted, it would be a case of having one on one side and one on the other with Wallace and Albrighton. Obviously, hasn't panned out that way, but that's your kind of conventional get the ball in the box, get it in the air. Let's see more of DK, what he did against Sunderland, what he did against Reading. Um, he's quite clearly got the ability to do it. So let's put the ball in positions where, you know, if once he's up to speed in terms of reading the game properly. One or two occasions on Friday night where I thought DK, his movement, maybe his positioning could have been a little bit sharper, but I guess that's still to come. Uh, and then you saw a different side of the game, really. Thomas Asante against a defence that's been run ragged and, you know, he's somebody who's just an absolute nightmare. There was one ball over the top, which I thought, uh, I couldn't tell you who the centre-half was at the time. I thought he was just going to come away with the ball, having dealt with the danger, but he's just an absolute nuisance. So, he managed to get him, his body in front. And rather than just, you know, be that kind of striker these days that you see where I'll try and win a foul or whatever, he stayed in his feet and he ran at goal and he, he won a corner or got a shot away. Um, and he can do both as well. You know, we've seen him score with his head this season as well. And the idea that all Brighton and Wallace can deliver the ball on the floor to his feet as well, knowing his, his own finishing abilities means that they've just got a, a range of weapons in the Arsenal now, I think, Albion up front. Pete and I talked about it on the last pod, uh, Joe. Is there a little bit of an unfair narrative building around uh, around DK? People seem to almost be looking for things where he's slow. People saying he's too he's too heavily built. Um, and uh, I mean, Pete highlighted the data that actually this was before the Coventry game. Goals per game ratio, DK's actually uh, sorry, goals per minute re- ratio. DK is actually better than Brandon Thomas Asante uh, at this point in time. And I, I I mean, don't get me wrong. DK's not 100%. Nobody thinks he is. Um, but he's also had two serious injuries. He's he's played very little football in the last 12 months. I I mean, he's, sharpness isn't there. He should be burying that header in the first half. There's, there, there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind about that. But I still look at a guy and I'm thinking, you're getting into the positions, you're bothering defenders... Is he perfect? Absolutely not. Should he be scoring more goals than he is doing at the moment? Yes, but I just—it just worries me that the uh, that there's this there's this narrative building a little bit around him that he's that he's he's not he's not the player he should be, and I don't I don't see a guy that's miles off. I see a guy that's that is what you'd expect really. That he's a guy just lacking a bit of sharpness, which he's had two major injuries. Yeah, I don't think you can underestimate, to be honest, the the toll that that takes. And I know Albion fans might say, well, you know, he's been back in the starting eleven now for the best part of two months, two and a half months. But even so, I mean, he, he he's basically written off. Yeah, but I mean, one month of career. that was written off by the World Cup, mate. So he's then had That's to. I mean, yeah, so break. like literally, yeah, so literally, he's yeah, he's kind of just built himself up to literally play the last couple of minutes against Stoke before the break. And then all of a sudden he's got three weeks or four weeks off. The the, the truth is, Chris, I, I, people, when when people talk about what we should be expecting of him, I can't put my hand on my heart and say that I watched a whole lot of him when he was at Orlando. So, and I don't think many Albion supporters will have done. So, really, what do we know what we should be expecting from him? Because 
he's, this is him now. This is what he's offering us as a team. This is what he's, you know, he's been starting 11 in and out and, and interchanging with Thomas Asante for the last two months since the restart. But we haven't really got anything to base it on. You know, it's not like we've had him at the club for five years and he's been out for 18 months and we hope that one day he can, you know, reestablish the levels that he wants to play that. Because, well, I mean, all we've got to go on is a few months at Barnsley where, I mean, the, the, the components were all totally different. He had a totally different manager at the time. I mean, the manager was the reason he came to us in the first place. Hmm. Um, he, you know, he was match fit in the sense that he'd come over at the end of the MLS season and was flying and the team was built around him. Um, and Barnsley as a team were playing really well. I saw a video the other day that was shared about, I think it was just, you know, this is a Barnsley uh, Twitter account that shared all the goals yeah, that I saw scored that during one. his time yeah. at the club. And, and there were a few Albion fans making comments about, you know, oh, look, he looked a bit leaner there and he looked obviously sharper. I mean, some of the quality of the goals when he was on loan at, at, at Barnsley were truly f- fantastic goals, the way he took some of them. Um, it's just his instincts and, and, and um, just there were, there was the one goal I remember him scoring against Blues where he a ridiculously tight angle from about 25 yards out and he's caught the goalkeeper off at the near post, off, off guard at the near post and, just little things like that, maybe just not falling for him or he's still just psychologically getting himself back up to that point. Um, I don't think it's through a want of trying because I think when you watch him, he is, he is working, he is working hard. And I know he does look very tired after the hour and he normally, you know, I thought the Luton game was a big, big breakthrough. He played 90 minutes and I thought his all round game that day was absolutely tremendous because when Luton came on strong in the last 10 or so, he really was that player you wanted him to be. He got us up the pitch. He held the ball up. He brought others into play. Um, he was just an absolute terrier, really, you know, fighting against the Luton centre-halves. Um, knowing that without Thomas Asante on the bench to have to have that fullback, he was going to have to go and play 90 minutes and lead the line for 90 minutes. And that was a big, big breakthrough. And it worked. And then it, maybe you don't really know how much that took out of him because then against Burnley was the polar opposite. A week later, it, it didn't work. And, and um, the ball just kept coming back and there was no retention of the ball. And so Albion's defence was constantly under waves of pressure from Burnley. So that was the flip side of that. Um, but we've seen enough, I've seen enough in his time in the first team, Albion, to know that he can do it. It's just, and, he, and you forget he's young. He's still so young as well. Well, he's, he's younger than Brandon. Exactly. He's a year or two younger than Thomas Asante. So, I mean, all think of all those things considered. I mean, what is he, 22? I mean, I'm not saying he's a teenager and, you know, patience isn't a limitless supply. You know, he does need to deliver. There's a lot of money that's just spent on him at the football club. And I think in time that needs to be absolutely understood and accepted. But for the time being, I think, you know, if you can keep picking up the odd goal, he scored three very good goals uh, since uh, we've come back to action since the World Cup. And um, I've seen enough to, to be pretty satisfied, I think. Yeah. I don't think it's been a, you know, a disaster. I've not been absolutely on the roof um, overjoyed with his performances every every one of his performances but I think there's, there are the makings of a, of a really decent you know top six championship striker there Well it's also worth noting that we we, we as a side all season but particularly under Corbran we don't we, we don't actually build everything around an out-and-out centre-forward in terms of goal scoring Brandon's obviously the top scorer with five but if you kind if you count the saved penalty to knock it in um 
only three of those are outfield outfield goals. Obviously, technically four of them go down as that, but that's only because the the pen was saved and then he's knocked in the rebound for for for, uh, for one of them. Um, and actually, the, the the majority of our goal contributions come from Wallace Swift. And Dean Garner, and whereas, as you say, at Barnsley, everything was built around the centre forward. So he's probably having to adjust to not being the be all and end all of our attack these days. Because, and we'll come to Jed Wallace imminently. Um, because you you look at, for example, the game against Coventry. Stick Wallace into that ten, and who has the most shots in the game by a country mile? With seven, it's Jed Wallace, not the centre forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I think you can. Albion have got that. We were just talking just then, weren't we? Before we started the podcast about the numbers themselves are not very big. And you look around the championship and you look at the top two, for example, and um, what Blackburn have got with Brett and Diaz, and what Middlesbrough have got with Tube Ratpon this season, and you know one or two other football teams towards the top, and indeed lower down the division as well. Our top score has got five. It's worth exactly. mentioning that our top scorer has got five goals and two of those were penalties. As I so say, there you go in the league. Yes. Yeah. So you've got, you've got Thomas Asante with those, with that return. You've got Wallace who's chipped in, Swift has chipped in, Diangana's chipped in, Yakuslu's chipped in with three. Um, but I mean, Bartley was scoring Bartley goals before the World Cup. Yeah. So um, you really, you really do have a kind of just a, uh, I mean, it, Colin Grant, I think has got three or four in the league as well. So. I think all in all, yeah. I mean, we haven't scored as many goals as we should have done. I mean, it was the story of Steve Bruce's time at the club, wasn't it? It was just the XG was through the roof and our goals for Colin was sadly lacking desperately. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been an ongoing problem for a long time. And, you know, how many times did you hear Ishmael and even Allardyce, you know, when we were trying to win games in the Premier League, when we had them by Diagno at the the top of the pitch. And you, you can't do a hell of a lot as a manager on a Twitch line other than watch your centre forward um, pass up chance after chance. And you need them to start scoring the goals because your team are quite clearly uh, creating the, the opportunities in the first place. Something's happened with Corbram whereby it's just clicked. And I don't know if it's confidence or whether it's training it, ground work. It, or it may well both, be also but, um, more solidity at the back, anyway. Joe. It may well also be more solidity at the back because, uh, because that takes the pressure off those strikers if... If you know, if you've got belief in in the back line not conceding, and we've kept so many clean sheets under under Corbran, that yeah. the the reality of the situation is that there's less pressure on the strikers. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I think a healthy team isn't relying on one or two strikers, are they? If by the end of the season, you know, we had before with like Dwight Gale and Jerry Rodriguez, and obviously that season didn't end the way we wanted it to, but those guys had pretty much 50 goals between them. Whereas a year later, I think our top scorer was Charlie Austin with 11, but we had Dean Garner, Robson Carno, Phillips, Pereira, um, Kravinovic. I'd all chipped in kind of anywhere between six and 10 themselves. So that was the best. I mean, you look back, Chris, when I don't know, were you working at the time when we won the league under Mowbray? Yep. Um, Yeah, I was there. 
And I mean, what do we have? We had Bedner, we had Kevin Phillips, um, we had, I think we had Simon Cox that season. Um, you know, you, you got, uh, uh, no, maybe we didn't have Simon Cox that season, but you, you had, you had Bedner, Phillips, Miller. It wasn't Cox, no, it was, it was the best midfield in the world, wasn't it? Yeah. And Bed, but Bedner, Phillips, Miller were three of them. And we, uh, oh, we had Craig Beattie as well, uh, who, and people might laugh at that, but Beats actually chipped in with some big goals. I remember the one, the winner against Leicester yeah. at the, at the at the Walker Stadium was a massive goal. So we we actually had players who chipped in with various players who chipped in with a lot of goals. Yeah, well that side was probably a little bit of an anomaly in the sense that we scored lots and lots and lots of goals, and our strikers scored, but all our midfielders scored. And I think yeah. we must have had four or five players that year that were in double figures, which is absolutely incredible. Whereas this year, I yeah, I, I'd take similar. Obviously, on a it's all relative, and it'll be on a slightly lower a lower level, a lower base to work from. But if, say, you had, you know, five players who had scored eight or nine goals each by the end of the season, then that'll go a long, long way. Um between now and the end of the season anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean move, move moving on as well to um we've touched on Jed Wallace a little bit there, but I want I want to do a little bit more um a bit more of a deep dive because as we say, Albrighton coming in, what one thing that it did create for him was a very different role. I mean not not unfamiliar because he played there against Burnley, but as Pete and I said at the time, the Burnley game was a freak game. Like the numbers were like nothing we'd ever seen before. No, no team at this level and other than Burnley is going to dominate us the way they did. There's, I don't think there's anyone that's capable of it. They're, they're, they're probably going to smash all the records this season for, uh, for points and goals. I would not be shocked if that was the case. And I, to be honest, I just, when, when it comes to a data sample, I just want to throw the Burnley game out the window because it's, it, it's just not representative. But you look at his performance, Jed Wallace's performance against, um, Coventry in that 10. And I have to say, I like him there. I know there's some people that don't and would rather Albrighton was moved to the left and Wallace was uh, able to resume his position on the right and and swift through the middle. I, I I'm a, I'm a big fan, but I'm well aware that there is there's positives and there's negatives. So uh, I I ran the numbers comparing uh, comparing Wallace's performance in the ten against Coventry to our last Championship home win, uh, which was against Reading because the possession stats were quite similar. So it's a fair comparison. Now, we as a team completed um, nearly twice as many dribbles, 14 versus eight, but we were also dispossessed twice as much. And most of those stats come back to to Jed, because Jed completed five dribbles versus three in the 10, but he was dispossessed five times versus, versus none. Overall, he had 10 more touches of the ball, he, he he had seven shots versus zero. He also made four tackles versus one. I I tell you why I like him in there, Joe. It's because and he also received um eleven progressive passes as well. And I just really like him in there because he's just so much more in the game. And I think he's our best player. I think he can do absolutely anything. And I'm a big fan of any tactic that increases Jed Wallace's involvement in the game. And when you've got, as as we said earlier, when you, Mark Albrighton is extremely comparable to what Jed Wallace gives you on the right-hand side. So if you've got Albrighton out on the right, you don't lose anything from the right-hand side. And whilst Jed gets dispossessed a bit more in the 10 than he would do out on the right, I think he just gives you so much more and gets so much more involved in the game that 
I'm all for him being in there. What do you think? Yeah, I think there were signs of perhaps a player getting up to speed still with what he was being asked to carry out in that role on, on Friday night. I thought there were times when, you know, he maybe tried to do things that showed off his kind of winger instincts and his winger traits that, you know, when you, you're you going to get crowded out more often when you're playing through the middle and, you know, you need to be um, just a little bit more effective with the ball at your feet. I, I think you look at players like Swift, who's a fantastic ball carrier, um, somebody who's so skillful and clever with the ball. And Wallace is somebody who is all legs and energy and, you know, whipping balls in from the right-hand side. To, to, to transfer those qualities, um, it wasn't going to happen in the space of one performance. But I thought there were still very, very good signs. And as we, we said before, I think between him and Albrighton, um, and, you know, this it's almost like a free free roaming position for Wallace where he's able to kind of take up um, positions on the right and on the left. And there was just a bit of flexibility to the game, I thought, for him. Um be nice if he could get his shooting off um, Cal's backside and banjo mode, though, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> thing is, you know he can do it as well. He scored yeah. some cracking goals this season. And there were definitely one or two occasions where the ball just didn't... It could have so easily stayed below the bar and not into the smelling end. And yeah, that 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 will happen, I suppose. But it, I thought it was really, really fruitful. And I think Corbran, most, more importantly, I think Corbran will have uh, been pleased with what he saw as well. Well... There were times in the game against Luton when um, it worked. And, you know, he took Swift off after about an hour or so. And um, it really, it, it you know, it was at a time when Albion really come on strong and then they scored a couple of goals. Um, and he put Phillips on the right-hand side. And that's what really brought about the two goals. Yeah, and Wallace was playing through the middle off DK. And he was asked after the game, why did you take Swift off and put Diangana on and then... You know, you're playing with three wingers and why did you shift Wallace into the middle when you had Rogic on the bench? Because we've become so accustomed to like for like. And he said, well, just some games just aren't really made for number 10s. And that was that was basically what he was getting at. He kind of almost wanted a winger's trait through the middle in what was a real harem, scarem game with goals and defensive errors. And um, it was, you know, a really a game that was opening up and, and, and getting quite stretched at that point. And Wallace just fitted the bill for him. I, I suppose, think he just saw things in that game, which made him think. Yeah, I suppose the other thing is as well, Joe, that that if you, um, that I mean, there's there's going to be quite a few games in in the championship because of the nature of it, where you're going to have to win the midfield battle, and that's probably what we lost away at Coventry, and having Wallace in that ten over somebody like Rogic, there's no passengers there, is there? Wallace is going to work his backside off. Yeah, that's the other thing as well. I mean, you've got to, it's not a case of crowbar and Wallace into a position. But what you do know when you're playing in there is that he will give you everything that he would give you on the wing as well. There's no kind of downing tools or, oh, well, I'd rather be a winger. So I'm not really going to quite apply myself in the same way if I'm playing as a 10. There's none of that. It's just, I, I want to play um, and I want to be effective and I will run my socks off for 90 minutes every single game that I play. Um, and that's pretty much why, in the space of six to seven months, he's established himself, I think, as pretty much the fan's absolute favourite in the entire squad. Um, and it's nice to have that again, isn't it? Because we've talked about that the last couple of years, where there weren't that many fan favourites that the fans could really warm to. And there were obviously very skillful players like Pereira. But in terms of an absolute kind of heart-on-your-sleeve kind of mm. football fan, you want someone who kind of emulates what you would do if you yourself were on the pitch. And that that's is Jed Wallace. 
That, that's really interesting you said that, Pete, because, uh, sorry, uh, Joe, because Pete and I talked about that some, uh, 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 some weeks about, uh, back, that that's probably the main thing that we love about, um, uh, about Jed Wallace is that you watch him play and you think, if I had his ability and fitness and was given that shirt, that's what I'd do. And we, we were talking off air about, um, about how many goal contributions the, 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 the team got from Carl and Grant and Callum Robinson last season. And yet they still weren't particularly well liked by the fan, fan base. And probably the flip side of that is why the fan base felt the way they did about Robinson and Grant, because they almost see that as the, the antithesis of that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I, I'd agree with that. They're very, very different players. Uh, uh, it's very, very odd, isn't it, when you think of what Robinson did at Grant, 25 goal contributions for Carl and Grant last season. And off the top of my head, I think it was 17 for Robinson. Where Albion would have been last season without them, oh, God only knows. And yet, here we are talking with one player out the, out the door already, another one very close to having left in January. And with the pretty much the entire fan base... Not that fussed either way, really, about the, the the moving out of those players or attempted moving out of those players. So, uh, whereas if you were to kind of entertain anything for Wallace right now, it would be well, uh, hold on to him for, you know, uh, and it would be nothing short of disastrous, wouldn't it, if you lost him to a, a, a sale or an injury or you know because of he's just so highly valued, and you can see in the dressing room as well that he's immediately fitted in he's just that personality and he plays like that as well um it's 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 really really heartening to see him when you when you when you watch him play um and whether i'll be in a three nil up or two nil down in a game he, he he kind of just gives everything he's got we kind of touched on Rogic there joe um taylor and uh, and Rogic were the two main omissions from the bench where do you think they are at the moment in terms of their Albion career because I mean you've said Taylor's perceived as more of a right back solution whereas most Albion fans seem to prefer him in the in the middle and Rogic has seemed his star seems to have fallen quite quickly yeah well Gardner Hickman was Corbrand's obviously very very pleased with the squad he's got available to him and he's somebody who has Quite clearly, as you've already alluded to earlier, Chris, he's looked at the squad and thought these should be doing way better than they are, and he's managed to get more out of them. Gardner Hickman was one very rare occasion where he almost appeared to dig a player out um, earlier in the season at Coventry when, when we lost in the last minute. And rather than pick out Peters for making the foul on the Coventry player in the penalty area to concede the penalty, he pulled it back about 30 seconds earlier to... Um, a, f- a failure to basically keep the ball high or win the ball high um, by Gardner Hickman, who had been basically introduced into the game to win the ball in that position in the hope that Albion could nickelate goal themselves. Um, I don't think it's really a coincidence that we just haven't seen anything of him since. It's a tough one with Gardner Hickman, really. I've never been that convinced of him at centre at right back, and I've always thought he's a better centre midfielder. And yet, those who would obviously know far more about football than us seem to think that he he is a right back. Um Ishmael always had him as a wing back and and um the same with Corbran. You know, he's always only ever been considered kind of when it comes to the league anyway, he's only ever been considered cover for Darnell Furlong. And when he plays in the cup he plays at right back. So hence they got and got they went and got Shalabar. So I don't know with Garnickman. He's got a big few months ahead and then the summer comes and 
you know, he's got to think about his own future and where he's going to be playing. And does he have the same attitude as Albright, for example, where he's going to be happy enough being in and around the squad and the odd occasion not being involved in the squad at all and playing just cup games? Where does he, is he, does he have a long-term future of the club? Can he see himself being an important player again in, in this squad? Um, Rogic is a bit different because he's, well, he, he, different end of his career. He's somebody who, you know, best years were given to Celtic, who was signed a short-term contract, who had no previous affiliation with, with Albion, um, polar opposite to Garden Hickman, obviously. Somebody who's out of contract in the summer, club have got the option of, a, of another year. Do I see them giving him here that him that at this moment in time? I would say no. It's just all happened too um, infrequently for me. I think you know you saw what he did at Sunderland was brilliant goal, brilliant assist for Jed Wallace against Rotherham, brilliant assist for Thomas Asante against Bristol City, but very very little else to write home about really in the last couple of months. We'll come on to Chalaber in just a second. Um, just what, but whilst we're talking about that central midfield position. How close do you believe O'Brien was to happening, or was that always a bit of a pipe dream? No, no, I think they were very keen. They were very well. They were very keen to do it. We were very keen to bring him to the club, um, as are as I'm sure were half the championship. But it became apparent that that deal was absolutely not going to happen the minute Nottingham Forest started talking about permanent fees and you know obligations to buy and that kind of thing. That was just absolutely off the table for Albion. So had it been a straight loan until the end of the season, and then you hand him back, or even put an option of a of a permanent signing, then you say, yeah, okay, that's a deal we can do. Um, but no, there, there was no way on this planet that Albion were going to commit to a £10 million signing. Um, and obviously Sheffield United with Sander Burge staying put meant that they weren't going to either because they, they were still they're still embargoed. Blackburn tried very late to get it done. But again, that if you're a team like Blackburn, do you want to commit to £10 million even if you're going up? Because that as good a player as Lewis O'Brien is and was for Huddersfield last season, if he doesn't quite hit the heights you expect him to, but you still go up as a team, would you want to be partnering with 10 million quid for him? I mean, I just the well, obligation to buy things generally. Forrest football, deemed not, him not good enough for that division. Exactly, exactly. But limited, not limit, not limited to O'Brien, but just generally, this obligation to buy thing that's kind of creeping into football a bit more now. I just can't really get to grips with it because it's kind of try before you buy, but it'll be it's more of a try and then you buy. Um, mm. I, I just I couldn't be comfortable with it. I was actually pleased, as as much of a fan as I am of O'Brien, I was very pleased that Albion didn't do anything silly and reckless at that point. Not that I expected them to, but just at that stage, I was glad that they just left the table and looked elsewhere because you don't <laughs> Albion's position um, certainly at the moment. That's the last thing you need to be doing is kind of making more promises, um, more more financial promises than you need to. Absolutely. And the more, slightly more conservative one that we've made is an 18 month deal for, uh, for Chalabar. And uh, I mean, we only got a bit of a glimpse of him against Coventry, but nonetheless, the stat that jumped out for me was he made nine passes, a hundred percent pass completion rate and one, um, meaty challenge, shall we, shall we say towards the end? I, th- I think we got a fairly good snapshot of what he's all about. Quality on the ball. Very, very composed, and when he has to mix it, I think he can. Yeah, and the other thing that I think a lot of supporters spotted as well um, that really stood out was the the little kind of exchange with Grady Dingana towards the end of the game. Albion are two or three minutes away from winning what would be a very significant game against a team who have already got one over on them this season, who are probably considered playoff candidates, albeit outside 
outsiders in that run. Diangana loses the ball, perhaps a little bit carelessly, just inside his own half. Chalabar doesn't only nail the Coventry player with a brilliant sliding challenge that puts the ball out of play. He then proceeds to stand up and give Diangana a bit of a mouthful, which could have gone either way. But I think I think Grady I think Grady accepted it. Um, but I, that just struck me as a guy, you know, who looked like he'd, all, he'd been at the club, a, you know, a couple of years, not a couple of days. Somebody who seems to have fitted in pretty well from from you know the, the early signs are positive and recruiting personalities was a big thing of um, you know previous regimes. You know, you want the right person as much as you want the right player, and uh, I think they've done that really in January. I would I would I would like to think anyway. Albright certainly ticks at that very very big box. Uh, he's 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 as, he's renowned in football as being one of the most pleasant guys in the sport. And uh, and Shalaba, yeah, early signs are that he's he's here to to play football, to win matches, to battle, and and looks like he's he's fitted in pretty quickly. You mentioned Grady there, and I just want to jump on that for a moment. He was obviously the match winner with a with a, with a, a strike that. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna really stick my neck out and say I reckon you and I could have stuck that one away <laughs> from that distance. Mm. But um, and by the way, I just want to throw out the credit to Jed Wallace for winning the flick on header in the penalty area against a much much bigger centre half than him. I thought that went to show exactly how dogged he is as a player. But Grady obviously won us that game. He does get a certain amount of uh, amount of stick. I thought personally he was tremendous in 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 that match. I thought he he worked his socks off and Joe I just want to throw it out to you that that maybe he gets a little bit more stick than than he warrants this season not in the past I appreciate he's massively underperformed under the last over the last two seasons but at present he's got seven goal contributions four goals three assists that means he's third behind Swift and Wallace for goal contributions but he's actually equal second top scorer with Jed um behind as we said our top scorer with five Brandon Thomas Asante who scores who has penalties anyway um he's also third in key passes per game again only trailing Swift and Wallace in in terms of that he's actually only uh, second he has the second most tackles won per game um which uh, out of any player that's played 10 or more games because Albrighton actually is above him, but he's only played one game. So not a fair sample size. Um, so he's only behind. Okay. Akoslu. I just, I, I just can't really, I don't get me wrong. I think there's definitely more to come from him, but I think, I, I think, I think almost Grady's perhaps a victim of his own success that he was so good in the loan spell so far above and beyond anything that could be expected that he's just set the bar so ridiculously high for himself that I think some fans perhaps have trouble lowering that bar to what is probably, I think personally seven goal contributions in a team where the top scorer has got five, I think is a reasonable level, but I think some fans perhaps are having trouble lowering the bar. Maybe Uh, the first thing I'd say is that, it's never. There's not a single footballer out there who dictates their transfer fee that that is paid mm. for them, um, and therefore that kind of tends to precede them a little bit. If they don't perform up to scratch, then that's something that's aimed at them. Really, it's kind of a stick to beat them with, isn't it? The transfer fee is well, you know, the, the expensive flop or whatever. Mm. Um, so therefore, in that respect, if you know, if we if Albion had signed Diangana for a million pounds, you'd probably have a very, very different viewpoint. I think generally there would be there would be a different kind of consensus 
Francis Didier Garner than had we spent 15 on him as, or, or 12 or whatever it was. So to that end, it, it, I wonder maybe if Albion fans on the back of that loan spell, maybe they are entitled to expect more from Dean Garner. I, I, I certainly have done previously. I would go, I would agree with you to this point this season. I think there have been games this season where the numbers actually haven't been there and he's been our best player. I, I thought the last game, the last away game of Bruce's reign at Preston where we were beaten one nil. I thought he was by a million miles Albion's best player that night. Mm. Um, equally when we, the whole five two. Oh, he was unplayable that scored. day. Don't don't think he scored a goal though. No, um, he had he, he had one of them where he did everything but score. I think there was one that hit the inside of the post and went across the the penalty box, right. if I remember correctly. That's right. So yeah, so like Grant scores a penalty as an own goal, Furlong, Swift scores, Dean Garner does everything but um and, and he just he was just incredible that day. And that's kind of what you wanted to see then. It was always a case with Dean Garner about consistency. And even going back to that first, those first few months, I, I distinctly remember there being a case of if Pereira doesn't get you, Dean Garner will. But if Dean Garner doesn't get you, Pereira will. And they played really well together very often, but only one of them would ever only stand out at one time. Um, so in terms of consistency, that's always been a challenge for him. Just how, how, how can he hit those heights? Can he play like he did against Holland Preston? But can he do it every single week? Um, and of course, the championship season is what it is. It will take things. It will take it out of your uh, the schedule and everything else. And, and form fluctuates, and confidence fluctuates, uh, and management fluctuates. And you don't really know from one week to the next, you know, how secure your place in the in the starting eleven is. So there's lots of things he's had to contend with. But that's the same with every footballer, I guess. And I think what people want to see is more of a kind of a a Jed Wallace-esque level of consistency from being on it. Because there's no doubt in his ability, quite clearly, a player who has had a lot of success in the championship previously with Albion, who has still, even as you've said this year, will, will, will be overlooked by a lot of fans, but has still scored goals and, and created goals this season. How often um, do you actually get that consistency out of these truly mercurial winger types, though, in all fairness, Joe? Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point because I mean, if if he was playing consistently, he probably wouldn't be at Albion right now. He, he definitely wouldn't be at Albion. Do you know what I mean? He'd be. He probably wouldn't have been sold by by West Ham in the first place. Um, you remember, you, you don't have to think too hard to remember the the kind of the outbursts of rage from Declan Rice and Jack Wilshire and Mark Noble when they sold him um, because they could see quite clearly what he what he had in the locker, and we've seen it ourselves and and. You know, the year they were in the Premier League was a really dismal one for everybody. But he was a player who, you know, he, as far as I know, he, he lives by himself in Birmingham. He was away from his family in London. It was locked down COVID. Sam Allardyce didn't have a lot of time for him. That would have been a tough one. And then again in the Championship, you know, under Ishmael, just didn't work. But then Ishmael was quite divisive in the dressing room anyway, wasn't he? By the end, I think there were four or five first-team players who just didn't get on with him at all. And then Bruce was the kind of manager that we thought might be the guy who would get it out of him, you know, the the arm around the shoulder kind of management. And it's no coincidence for me that we've seen the best of Dean Garner since that loan spell has been under Bruce. Um, and that's kind of to a point, it's carried, carried on under Corbran. And there was a little part of me that was a bit surprised to see him start the other night on the back of all Brighton signing, because like a lot of people, I did think he would just play one on one side and one on the other. So the fact that he gave Dean Garner that run on the left side, where his best football has been played in an Albion shirt. Uh, and there was more to his game than just the goal as well. I mean, it was nice for him that he was able to go and get the winner. But 
there were just elements of his game that I really liked. I thought, you know, that there was some fantastic skill in the first five or ten minutes where he drove towards the edge of the box and, you know, he's retained possession with some brilliant footwork and, um, you know, he's able to look up and, and, and pick a pass and, and go out wide. And I, I still think on his day, he's a delight, he's a delightful footballer to watch. We just need to see more of those days. Completely agree. I'm just going to the other end of the field to uh, to, to finish off, um, Joe. But it would be deeply remiss. I mean, we, we we've uh, we've set a record: six clean sheets at home, first time since 1977 that we've uh, that we've done that six clean sheets in a row. And uh, O'Shea and Peters, I think, have surprised many because when when Bartley was was out, I think we all saw that as a big blow because at the start of the Corbran reign. Bartley had become a big player in the early days, um, but O'Shea, O'Shea and Peters have just have just been tremendous. And Peters is probably the one who gets more of the credit most of the time than than Dar O'Shea. But Dar O'Shea against Coventry was absolutely phenomenal. Um, most interceptions, um, it, actually a lot of accurate long balls out of defence as well. Four of his six long balls actually hit Albion players. Um, he he was uh, he had played the most successful progressive passes with Albrighton. He also had the third most dribbles. So not only did Dara actually defend really well he got us out of defense brilliantly and I just thought he was absolutely tremendous I I saw Wallace referred to him as concrete head on Twitter which was obviously a reference to the shot that he took on uh, on his bonce that sent him um, sent him a bit like a boxer that just had uh, just had a had a right hand uppercut to his chin Um, and he did really well to get back up and, and crack on from there but I, I, Dara's someone who who has split the fan base over over the last, last sort of like few months because I think even while we've been keeping clean sheets, people have worried is he a little bit of a liability? But I think you just see game on game, Corbrand just getting more and more into him, and we forget it's easy to forget he's another one who's a young player. I think he's developing in in an exciting fashion under Corbrand. Yeah, and I think the handing of, of the captaincy to him on a match day has been the making of him. Really, that that that's something for me that I, that I consider to be a really, really big. Well, I mean, of course, it's 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 a huge um, accolade. I think to be recognised like that by your football club at that age as well to turn around and say, well, Jake's not going to be you know in the squad. Um, his influence on the pitch and in the match day squad is waning now, and. We need somebody who's going to be able to take the, the you know, the reins and, and lead this team out onto the pitch every week. And, and it would have been um, so easy to give it to Wallace. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, yeah, certainly you look at him in the way personality, the way much like Albright, he leads by example. He's a really bubbly character, isn't he? He plenty, brings plenty of humour. He's, 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 he's very, very well liked by his teammates and by the supporters. It would have been a really obvious one, as you say. Um, but. I'm really, really pleased for Dara that he's he's now being recognised. I think because he, you're right, there have been reservations uh, about certain aspects of his game, whether he could really properly do it at the top table. Um, and yet, you know, he was somebody who I think Sam Allardyce could see plenty in him. Slaven Bilic absolutely adored him, gave him his really, really, you know, his first opportunity um, in the championship. Valishmel absolutely adored him um, and was robbed of him. And then, you know, it was the same for Steve Bruce. It was a case of 
getting him back after a long period out last season. Um, and one by one, they've all kind of they've you know they've fallen to injury. Carl Bartley's fallen to injury, and he looked good with um, with O'Shea for a little while. Shemi Ajayi at the start of the season, Albion were were playing really really some good stuff at the start of the season without getting the results, and and Ajayi and O'Shea had struck up what looked like a really good partnership that they could run with. Uh, and uh, of course, Ajayi got injured as well, so. O'Shea, I think, is one of four or five outfield players in the championship to have played every minute of this of the of the season so far. So that's another thing as well, is as much as he's had bad luck with injuries previously in terms of that really, really serious one with Ireland last year. Um game to game and you know, week to week, muscle injuries and that kind of thing are not something you're gonna have to worry about with him. He obviously looks after himself. And he just looks like he's absolutely flying confidence levels now. The way he brings the ball out from the back, you know, he set DK's goal up at Luton the other week with a Brilliant through ball that just totally dissected the whole midfield and Luton's defence. Um, he, he's just, he, he, he's flying at the minute. And Eric Peters must be a serious help as well. It's not just, it's obviously a partnership, but in terms of the, there's probably about a 10 year age gap and having someone like him, um, again, brilliant nature of a, of a, of a bloke Peters as well to have around the, around the place. Really, really well liked, really, really good professional. It's a very unlikely partnership that you would have to say mm. shortly after the deadline. If you'd have said to me, Dar O'Shea and Eric Peters, who we're going to sign as left back cover, are going to be record breaking centre half partnership, I'd have raised an eyebrow at you. But uh, they deserve everything they're getting at the minute in terms of um, recognition and and applause because you don't go on these kind of runs by fluke. Um, no. you know, yeah, to go and to go and keep seven clean sheets or six clean sheets on the bounce at home. Knowing that you're giving your attackers, your attacking teammates, the opportunity to go and win games of football, knowing that one goal will always be enough, um, is 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 remarkable, really. And there haven't been that many two. There haven't been too many scares either, have there? I mean, Alex Palmer's made one or two big saves at times, but I know a lot was made of David Button's catch at the end of the game. But really, that's all he's done with his with his hands all game. I mean, he saved one very straightforward free kick from Hamer. The rest of it, it was he was so well protected that. Coventry just didn't even lay a glove. I mean, there was one obviously where Swift has misplaced the pass to uh, Chalabar and Jokere should hit, get it on target. Mm. But other than that, um, there was nothing at all. And, and it's just, they just look absolutely, I'm probably, I'm glad I've touched wood now, but they just look impenetrable at home, don't they? It, it's yeah. so, it's so different now to what it was towards the end of Bruce where, you know, Swansea came and scored three, Blues came and scored three. Um, they just look so open at the back. They just know exactly what they're doing, man for man. And O'Shea and Peters are, rightly, have held on to their places, even with the return of a Jay. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, so, you know, a world of credit to Eric Peters, a state agent, for moving him in next to next to Steve Bruce, and we thank him for that. Um, but, I mean, you mentioned the the moment there at the end uh, with, with Button catching the cross, Joe, and that, that is that, that is where I want to finish today's pod, is talking about that, because for me, that was the moment that, it, as silly as it sounds, that was the moment of the match uh, for me. I, 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 I just, I love that. And look, Anybody, anybody who listens to this pod regularly, I mean, he, he, even your good self, Joe, uh, 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 privately in chats, you've, you've mentioned, uh, to me, my, um, my, the amount I make mention of David Button, shall we say? Um, cause I think it's become a bit noticed that, that, that I've not, I certainly in the first half of the season, I was not his biggest fan. 
I mean, look, I, I'm still not far from convinced by uh, by the guy, but I don't. I I want nothing but success for any West Bromwich Albion player, and David Button is no exception. So when I see them have a wonderful moment like that, it warms my heart. It really does. But you have got to say. He had nothing to do in the game. You're absolutely right. One shot on target the whole match. And that speaks volumes about this Albion team and the way they defend and how dogged the likes of Yokoslu and Malumbi and Peters and O'Shea and how disciplined Townsend and Furlong are at tucking in and how the likes of Wallace and Albrighton and Dean Garner move us up the pitch and how when we play long balls, Brandon fights for them and things like that. It's, it, you know, you defend from the front and uh, and I honestly believe that but nonetheless when Button takes that catch and the referee almost immediately blows the final whistle I think you see the epitome of what Carlos Corbran has built in his time at West Bromwich Albion as they all go round him and get round him and uh, and just celebrate with him and also the clip that um, that the club have put onto uh, Instagram today as uh, as he goes back into the dressing room he's the last one to re-enter the dressing room and just as he walks in this huge cheer go uh, goes up one of my big problems last season is I felt we had a team of individuals who, whilst independently of each other, could be quite brilliant. And there was maybe the odd combination in there. Robinson Grant was an obvious one to, to, to raise. I didn't think they, I didn't think they, they fought for each other. I didn't think they, I didn't think they, they played together. There was a unified approach really outside of maybe the first half a dozen games under Ishmael. I think what you see now, and it becomes so obvious on the pitch when they support Button with the way that they were laughing and joking after the the, the Reading game, I think it was, with, with DK after he'd scored his first goal at the Hawthorns and Brandon's having, having a joke with him. The lads were clearly so delighted for Grady after he scored his goal. I just feel like this is a team of guys that lift each other up, Joe. Be- being around them, being around the training ground uh, uh, at times, and uh, and interviewing these guys—is that the feeling you get? Yeah, yeah. I I, I thought the epitome of Albion under Corbrad actually encompassed probably the last two or three minutes. Uh, we mentioned already that that moment where Shalabar and Dean Garner uh, had a, an exchange, or rather, it was a it was a one way exchange. It was Shalabar to Dean Garner, um, and within two or three minutes. I'm witnessing Malumbi and Eric Peters and Daro Shea run to David Button and jump on him and give him hugs. And um, I just thought that really both sides of the coin there, you, you are raising standards and in maintaining high standards while also being one team together, um, unified, who are pleased for each other when your, you know, your teammate is, is succeeding, who, um, suffers as, as Corbran put it when your team when you when your teammate is struggling, um, and they are all on the same page absolutely. And um, just specifically on Button, I thought you're right. It was like a goal was scored when they when they celebrated that catch at the end. And I know that in itself wasn't a significant thing. You know, a catch is a catch goalkeepers do routinely, but it was obviously the timing of the game. It was the supporters' general feeling towards Button up until that point. Um, the confidence levels that he must have had because he must have he he must have taken a knock in the last few months. Um, goalkeepers don't necessarily, unless something's gone wrong with injury or whatever, they don't necessarily lose their place in the team. So 
And know I that think that's something that maybe as fans we don't always uh, don't always recognise that when somebody is playing badly, that it's it's very easy to get angry at them. But they're not trying to play badly. But you know, mentally, it, it especially a goalkeeper who is so isolated and every mistake you make goes in the yeah. back of the net. Like it's probably really really hard to dig yourself mentally out of that hole. Yeah, and I'm not saying he hasn't made mistakes. Of course he has. And I think David Button himself would put his hand up and say that he's made mistakes this season or there have been goals that, you know, that he's conceded that you might have stopped or might have got closer to or whatever. Equally, you know what? I, I was also saying at the same time, while not, um, while obviously he's made mistakes clearly, um, I'd reiterate that, but. There have been some good goals scored against him as well, um, which haven't helped his cause when they, you know, when the goals, when the goals have gone in early on in the season, when Albion have conceded rather freely, um, that they just, it's been almost like a kind of just a, a perfect storm, really, um, which led to him being back on the bench. What I would say is that in this current, current core brand team, David Button looked a very, very confident footballer on, on Friday night. The only other real examples we can use with Button in a core brand team have been in the Cup, where he's had Shemi Ajayi, who's struggling with form and fitness, um, or has been struggling with his fitness and, and quite clearly struggling with his form, who has been lining up next um, to... Well, Martin Kelly played, didn't he, against mm. Chesterfield, who uh, you know is, is obviously quite clearly, as we know now, is not a player who was part of his plans. Um so it's a makeshift defence, and therefore he was really exposed at Chesterfield and against Bristol City. And I just wonder whether now he's playing in front of a, a back four, which is extremely settled, which knows exactly what it's doing. That ought to play into his hands as well, really. But I thought, generally speaking, over the course of the game, as we said, he didn't have a lot to do with his hands. But I thought when he had the ball at his feet, he looked confident. He was picking passes out wide on the flank. Um, his kicking looked improved. It's a small sample size. It's one game, but if there's one position on the pitch where you need that extra ten percent of confidence, it's probably in goal because you know as a goal, as a striker, DK missed a couple of chances on Friday night. But there's always another game where DK yeah. can be the hero. Whereas if if David Button has a clangor, it's most likely going to be a goal conceded, and you can lose your team games. Well, it's it's mistakes. interesting you raise that as well, Joe, because I mean, obviously, God forbid, I should do my own research. Pete very kindly sent uh, sent me um, sent me some notes before we before we recorded, and I uh, just uh, you know he he he'd done he done the, the the his usual maps and graphics, and um, because uh, because I can be quite often statistically illiterate to to the to the maps and graphics that um, that that. Pete sends me he has to pull out some bullet points and just in big letters was buttons distribution way better I mean I I don't know this for sure but you'd like to think that maybe he knows that was a failing in his game and maybe this time away from the first 11 he's spent doing extra hours on the training pitch working on that yeah I thought that was evident as well the other day I just thought you know I don't think we've had any issues really with Palmer in terms of his all-round game, he's been commanding. He's been a real proper vocal presence. He's made some big, big saves with his body as much as with his hands, and and he's obviously very, very well liked. And he's grasped he's grasped the opportunity that he's had to wait a long, long time for at the club. Um, but this is a bit of a redemption opportunity for Button as well. And okay, it won't it, it won't it won't be exclusively on on one game. And, and you know, it's not like a case of well, okay, 
David Button is now kind of all, all of a sudden he's like the key player again, based on what we saw the other night, which was otherwise a rather comfortable performance and and rather just a routine evening, wasn't it? I just don't think commentary really laid a glove on Albion all the way through the evening. But at the same time, that's going to have been a a big big boost to him. I would have thought really psychologically, clean sheet, um, first one in the league. I'd have thought for a little while because. As I say, Albion's defence were conceding all sorts of numbers under Bruce. So, yeah, you just he's going he's going to go to Blues on Friday night. I'd have thought in really, really just hopefully, really, really boosted by that, and hopefully, we'll, uh, it'll be evident when we when we um, see him back in action. Absolutely. Well, uh, and let's hope that uh, he can carry that form on into the Birmingham game, which is, of course, Albion's next game as we move into a massive February. Um, Birmingham, Blackburn, Watford and Middlesbrough to come. Some huge games for the Albion. Uh, We will be back on Albion analysis after the Birmingham City game. um, And uh, uh, and Pete should be back with us. Thank you so much uh, today for joining us. And please, guys, if you you don't already and if you don't already i've got to ask you why you don't already fo- follow joe on twitter please please do at chapman j92 is joe's uh handle or just type in joe chapman uh and he and he will fo- uh, uh, pop up but for honestly for all the news on albion he's you know he he's he's so so good with all uh, brilliant articles insightful stuff just make sure you drop him a follow and joe like i say thanks so much for coming on today hey, i really appreciate you asking me and um yeah really really good chance to, to chew the fat i mean I, I as an albion fan myself i still do miss those days where i could kind of go to the pub after a game and just talk about albion and it doesn't happen as often as i quite like these days so yeah yeah really enjoyed it thank you my pleasure, mate. And you're welcome on here anytime. So, um, yeah, dr- drop Joe a follow on Twitter. And again, as always, thanks for listening. And also don't forget to check out manscape.com and use our promo code up the baggies for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. But until next time, thanks for listening and up the baggies. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Albion have certainly been sharing the goals around this season. They're well into double figures now for different championship goal scorers. So why not take a leaf out of their book and do some sharing of your own with a McNugget share box? Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.